Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very bittersweet episode of The Real Forno Show. The Viking season unfortunately ended yesterday against the New York Giants 31-24, to but as it says in the show title, one end is just the beginning of the rest of our lives. And we are going to talk a lot of offseason. We're going to talk about the future of this team. And we're going to reflect back on what was truly a special and fun season. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack run and shooter host of the good the bad and the hungry on the voices of wrestling podcast as well as a member of climbing the pocket you are looking live at two of the best looking vikings in the industry i am your host tyler fornis and with me as always top corner producer dave dave how are you I am doing good. It is Monday after the season ends. We are all dealing with that grief a little bit differently. And for those that were watching yesterday on the post game, I want to apologize that Flip attacked Tyler. That shouldn't have happened publicly. It's all right to disagree. It's all right to be vehemently uh, disagreeing as long as we stay civil towards each other and that's the way it's going to be. I need to talk to Flip about it. But my apologies to you, the viewers. I wish you hadn't seen that. Hey, I, Dave, I appreciate it. And I apologize to the viewers, too, that you weren't able to get my raw thoughts after the game. But don't worry. I saved them all for you tonight. So you're still going to get plenty. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start off with the point I was trying to make on uh, Sunday night on the final score. Um, I, kudos to Brian Dayball. Um the reason why I wanted him so badly for the Minnesota Vikings. And look, we should all be happy we have Kevin O'Connell. He has shown that he has the, the tools to be a really good head coach long-term. We should be very happy with the hire. One of the reasons I wanted Dayball is because I knew that this was possible. I think he's the coach of the year because he basically dragged a lifeless Giants team kicking and screaming to the playoffs. And they, they just went on the road and beat a very good football team in the Vikings. Daniel Jones is not a great quarterback. They don't have a receivers on the outside that are worth anything, really. And they were able to torch us. Look, was the game plan overly creative? No. But you know what it did? It attacked everything that the Vikings do wrong. It hit it hard, hit it well. And then when the Vikings made some adjustments, they made adjustments to those, and they were still able to take it to us, allowing getting gained 443 yards. And Daniel Jones had the game of his life. He looks like a viable NFL starting quarterback now when you would not have said that a year ago today. And I give a lot of credit to him, his coaching staff, and the players 
for all buying in, for being able to construct a game plan that was consistent and they executed it very well. They did not make mistakes and they came out with a win and the Vikings should really be disappointed in themselves because they had plenty of opportunities. They were a better football team overall than the Giants, but the Giants had the game plan and they had their number. And unfortunately, the Vikings luck ran out. But it was a very special season, Dave. We had a lot of tremendous moments. We had eight come-from-behind victories from Kirk Cousins, something we really had not seen before this season. And the defense should have been a lot better. And I think that's going to be the one thing that I really hold on to from the season. It's missed opportunities. This defense has the talent. They they were playing a fifth-string cornerback as their first string. Duke Shelley played out of his mind. And I don't think Donatel did enough to help the cornerbacks succeed. The linebackers were a mess consistently throughout the year. And there's going to be challenges when you transition defenses. You know, one of the reasons why we ended up talking about Jordan Davis a little bit for being the 12th overall pick for the Vikings is because of what he would have been able to bring in the middle of that defense. You have to have somebody who can two-gap. Harrison Phillips was good. He was not great this season. And I'll be honest, I think he was one of the reasons why the Vikings struggled so much against the run because he's just not a two-gapping kind of guy. Michael Pierce would have been a better option, unfortunately. It did not work out. He ended up going back to Baltimore. But all these things uh, kind of wrap into one. The the Vikings had a great year, and they should be incredibly proud. But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that game. Um, you, I posted a lot of stuff for, about the game on Vikings Wire. Please go check it out. I, we're also going to talk later in the show, Dave, about my first mock draft, which I um, intentionally released the day after the Vikings season because we need to transition to the future. We're, we're going to talk plenty um, over the course of the next few months about how fun this season was. But let's be honest, it, it's a little painful right now. It hurts because th- we thought with how this team created their own luck, that they could be able to take this thing and make a real run. There there was evidence that supported that. There's also evidence that said that they were nowhere near as good as their record. But the evidence for it, supporting it, really gave you a sense of, hey, this team is different. This team figures it out in situations. They play great situational football. But we had failures at the end, and I think that's that's the one thing we're going to talk about before we move on, Dave. I was very disappointed with that final play for two reasons. Actually, three reasons. One, uh, the protection was not great. I think they should have done a better job in making sure that Garrett Bradbury was not one-on-one against Dexter Lawrence, who, if you don't know by now, is one of the best defensive tackles in football. He has grown into a tremendous young player. And draft analysts ripped, just absolutely destroyed the Giants for taking Dexter Lawrence because they had Dalvin Tomlinson. They had other guys on the defensive line. It was not a need. Well, Dexter Lawrence has proved them wrong. He's become one of the best defensive tackles in football. They should have won, made sure Bradbury had some help. If that help was Dalvin Cook and he missed, that that's on Dalvin Cook, and that's, that's just incredibly disappointing. Two, the, you can't make a throw like that. You can't make a shallow throw. I understand that there was extenuating circumstances. I had a long conversation with my former boss of USA Today, Neil Kulong, who now works for Sports Illustrated, about that this morning. And Cousins did not have a lot of time, 
and the progression was right to left. So Jefferson's one, Hawkinson's two. But Hawkinson shouldn't have been the second progression. And that's the third point. Kevin O'Connell, I thought, made a very poor play call. And yeah, I understand the concept of 989. So what it's it's what they ran. 989. So you have nine routes on the outside, which are basically go routes. And Je- Jeff is a variation. So Jefferson and Thielen kind of took it to a fade because you had single high. So when you have that single high safety up there, the whole point of instead of just going straight up the numbers and fading out to the sidelines is it makes it a lot harder for that middle of the field safety to be able to get to either side. And you can fake him by looking one way and going the other. Like that's kind of the idea behind it. And then the eight route, you're looking at like a post in the middle of the field. What I don't understand about that play call, Dave, how come you only need eight yards? There's a minute 50 to go. You have time. You're at the 50. It's not like you have to drive 80 yards in order to get a touchdown. You only have to go half the field. How come we're calling three like vertical routes and two checkdowns within three yards of the line of scrimmage when it's fourth and eight? How come we're not trying to just, hey, run up, like have Jefferson clear out the double coverage, and then have Osborne sit down right there? Like uh, To me, that was the biggest frustration. I don't think O'Connell set Kirk Cousins up well enough to succeed with that play. And then Kirk Cousins failed himself in the team with how he executed the play. I put it about 70% O'Connell, 30% Cousins, because the biggest frustration, Dave, with the Kirk Cousins play, he has chucked it up to Jefferson all season. He has been aggressive. He has taken those shots. I saw it floating around on Twitter today. You remember the Tennessee Titans game from 2020 where it was fourth down and he just threw it up into like quadruple coverage because it was fourth down? He didn't. He did it then, but he didn't do it here, and I thought that it was very curious. Obviously, he, the pressure made an impact. He but, did it against Buffalo, and we know yeah. Justin Jefferson came down with it then. My problem with it was the play call and the design. I don't mind that he ran it like he did, hoping that one of those deep guys got open. But in particular, Justin Jefferson, i.e. he called it. That's why you read it right to left. But he should have modified those underneath routes, right? Hawkinson shouldn't have gone on a flat route three to five yards deep. He should have gone to the sticks. And that's what should have been called is that we're modifying these bottom routes. You can still go. So if you have to check down, at least he's at the sticks. It may not be that he's on the line or beyond the line. He could be a yard short, and you expect Hawkinson to at least fall forward and get the first down. That was not done. That seemed like poor play calling on KOC's part at that point because he wasn't maximizing the ability to get that first down with the routes that were called. And like you said, you could have called a different set of routes, had KJ over the middle and sit, whatever. But anyways, the shallow routes needed to go out at least to the sticks. And that mm-hmm. should have been done. And to, to me, that was the most frustrating thing. There, it was, hey, go, 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 go. But I didn't think that they played nearly as smart of football as they should have at the end of the game. The clock management could have been a little better. I didn't think it was bad, but it, it could have been better. I... I just don't get why everybody's deep. To me, I'm 
I don't know everything about scheme. He's I'm trying to spread out the defense. Fight. If you got then run why guys you deep, have... you're bringing defensive backs back. You're opening space between okay. the line and that. That's why deep passes are called for. And if they're open, they're great because they're big. They're efficient yeah. plays. You're getting big chunk yardage. But So then why aren't you running Hawkinson on some kind of like shake route where you go up and then it's almost like a little quick uh, corner post, get him in the middle of the field with all that open space, and he he still has to probably avoid that one defender, but by the time he gets the ball, he's probably seven, eight yards deep, and he has the first down. To me, that's the failure here. Well, that's what I'm saying. Unders- he should have modified those underneath roots. Yeah, just uh, really unfortunate stuff that the season had to end in situational football, and this team's been so good at it. But it's it, it's one of those things. David is what it is, and this team played incredibly well. They worked their asses off, but it's also something that was rumored about all weekend with some of the um, articles that we saw, including Chip Scoggins and Star Tribune. Um, Dan, exactly. Um, Like, they should have had guys at the sticks. Like, those uh, two routes, there's a a concept called dagger. And what you could have done, so the, the slot guy runs that go route that you're talking about. The outside guy runs a 10 to 15 yard dig. So you can just do it 10 yards because you want to make sure that, that you're giving cousins. You don't have to have them wait three and a half seconds in order to throw the football. They should have done something like that. And I think that's a rookie head coach and somebody who has not called a ton of plays in the national football league. And I, I think that's something where he is going to learn from and, but hats off to the Giants. Um, they played a very good football game. They did not make mistakes like they did in the first one. They Part took of that advantage was of situations. the Vikings' defense making them look stellar. Oh, absolutely. But it it's, it's, takes two to tango, right? The Vikings' defense was atrocious. And the Giants had the game plan to take advantage of it, and they executed it very well. It is a twofold, twofold thing. It's not... Oh, the Vikings blew this game. It was a seven-point playoff game. They were in this game the whole time. The first half kind of felt like it got away from them, but then they got that touchdown to end the half, and it was 17-14 at the half. Like, okay. Right. And, and you they wish came it was back, better, but they tied it in the fourth quarter. We thought the momentum was going. Everybody thought, even on that fourth and eight play, that Hey, the Vikings are going to get this. We're going to go down and score. And then Kevin O'Connell's going to go for two in the win. But it didn't happen. Not this time. No, it, it, it didn't happen. And I'll be honest, Dave, it's frustrating. It's tough to deal with. But all, all the credit in the world to those who deserve it. And that was, that's the New York Giants. They, they figured out how to beat the Minnesota Vikings in a close game and kudos to them. But we are going to not worry so much about what was like we, we spend enough time talking about the game. If you want to go check out the final score, I recommend um, checking in about 20 minutes in. So you don't see the chicanery Um, But there was some good discussion after that all happened. Um, But let's talk about the future of this team, Dave. Um, There are a lot of question marks. And this team is going to look substantially, substantially different. Hopefully. There are 25, 
there are 25 official free agents on this team, including guys like Irv Smith Jr., who is as good as gone. He played four snaps yesterday. Johnny Montauk snapped him 21 to four. That speaks volumes. Irv Smith Jr. is not going to be on this team long term. I would not be surprised if he signs a relatively decent deal. I think I opined a few months ago that he was going to sign like a deal similar to Tyler Conklin. I, I bet it's more of a one-year prove-it deal than it is a three-year deal just because he dealt with the injuries the last two years and that we really don't have a lot of tape. And tight ends a position where you you want to invest in a guy that you think is really good because it takes time to develop. Um, TJ Hawkinson really didn't come out of his shell until this year because tight end is a difficult position. You have to be a left tackle and you have to be a wide receiver. That's learning two complete different skill sets and having to have the body for both of them. So it takes tight ends a long time. And when you miss the entirety of season three and half of season four of your career, you can really stunt that growth. Watch him get like a one-year six or seven million dollar deal to go prove he can go somewhere. Evan Ingram got one year nine million from the Jaguars, and look at what he's been able to do. He's been really, really good. So he's gone. Chandon Sullivan, our starting slot corner, he hopefully won't be back because he was not very good for most of the season. However, um, Zedarius, today he said he wanted to be. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, I I want a million dollars. So <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson is technically a free agent. Um, there, He does have dead money um, on the cap for next year. So if the Vikings sign him, they can push some of that out with the void years that have already been made. Um, Zadarius Smith, they have to make an option, the choice on him. They have to decide if they're going to keep Daniel Hunter, which if I'm Daniel Hunter and they're going to stay in this defense, I'm probably asking out because this defense does not suit him at all. And it's well, unfortunate because Hunter was really good. I looked this morning. I think he had five pressures in the sack yesterday mm-hmm. on his snaps. Well, he had three coverage snaps. And we've seen it all season long. If you're putting your best pass rusher in coverage, he's obviously not causing pressure and getting sacks because he's in coverage. That's that's yeah. what seems silly to me. The the ability to insist on sticking to scheme when the player is better fit for something else. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, there's there's so many little nuances, and I understand wanting to play this game. Like nearly half the NFL plays this game, and when it fully functions, it's really good. Look at the Broncos the first half of the year; they were allowing like 14 points a game until like week 13, and then the Bears from 2018. How great that defense was! Same scheme. The Rams from two years ago uh, with Brandon Staley as their defensive coordinator. Same scheme. Like, this scheme is very good. How it was executed and how stubborn that that some of the play calling was from Ed Donatel. To me, that's the major frustration. You, you want to run your scheme. Every coordinator wants to run exactly how they, they want their defense to play. Sometimes you have to understand, one, your personnel, and two, your limitations with that personnel. You had Duke Shelley and Patrick Peterson start a corner for most of the last half of the year. Those two guys are good in press. They're good running with receivers. They're good in man coverage. So why were we not playing more man coverage? Why were we 
content with linebackers who are really not good for this system in Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks. And Kendricks was outright bad yesterday. I, I, I think he's as good as gone, especially because he saves $9 million on the cap if we move on from him this offseason. Like, they should have done more to maximize the talent that they had. And to me, that's, that's my biggest takeaway with Donatel. It's, and we talked about it quite a few times on the show. It's, it's all missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. Understanding the talent you have. Like, if you, if you go to, the, to your fridge and you're like, you know what? I want to make stew. And you look in the fridge. Oh, you don't have any beef. Oh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to use fish. You, you you don't put like cod in a beef stew. Like you have to understand the ingredients you're working with. So, you know what? Maybe you maybe you make a soup instead of like a, a hearty stew because you have fish instead or a chowder. of chowder. Like Yeah, to to me that's that's the thing. You have to understand your personnel and they didn't do enough to maximize it because this defense should have been better. It should have ranked about 20 in total defense, but it was all, Hey, we're at the bottom 31st in total defense, 26th in scoring. And it's because Ed Donatel did not want to adjust nearly enough as he should have. He should have let these guys play more man coverage, utilize the strengths that they have because a great coach will do that. Like a Bill Belichick defense, they have a lot of core principles. But he's like, whatever, I have these guys, ah, I'm going to do some crazy stuff. Like, And then Mike Zimmer did a lot of that too when he realized, hey, my secondary's weaker. I'm going to run a lot more shell coverages and cover two and two deep safeties because my corners can't handle it. He asked a lot of his corners. And we saw that even without Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin in 2021, you, you know what happened? Vikings were second in the league in sacks with 51. They were getting massive production from DJ Wanham, Afadio Denebo, and they were manufacturing pressure and sacks. And even though the overall product was not great and it ended up leading to the demise of Mike Zimmer, it wasn't due to effort. It wasn't due to trying. He did a lot with what he had to maximize. That was not done by Ed Donatel. And that that's the main difference between last year's defense and this year's defense. Well, if Zimmer people... is calling, if Zimmer is calling this year's defense, it's a it's almost a top half unit in the league because of the talent that they had and were and would have been at his disposal. Well, a lot of people are calling for Donatell's removal. Yeah, and it's been twenty four hours. He has not yet. Nothing's come out of uh, <clears throat> Egan as to his. Where he sits with the team, everybody's hoping he retires. That way he doesn't have to be fired. But it, it's going to be interesting. Kevin O'Connell said he and Quasi are going to sit down and evaluate things. And he did not say me and Ed are going to sit down. He said him and Quasi. So there's most likely the possibility he's gone. Now, whether... We stay in a 3-4 scheme or we rotate back to a 4-3. And this is like 1985, the one year we tried a 3-4 and everybody went back the next year. Don't know. We'll have to find out once they, the dust settles. I suspect we will know here in the next couple of days the status of Donatel. Yeah. It's because it seemed to not work at all this season. And when we rank so low, 
but we did so well record-wise, 13 and 5 overall. Obviously, a good part of the focus, the majority of the focus in the offseason is going to be on rebuilding that defense because that's where most of your old and slow players are located at. A lot of the mm-hmm. cap space is there. You've got to do that. So you want to rebuild that. Somebody with fresh ideas coming in that may help, not just here's my system. I want to build to my system and then try to run my system but not maximize it. In the meantime, that that seemed to be the problem with me. I can understand you wanting to go to a 3-4 Fangio style, Donatel style. This is this is my goal. I've got three years to get to it. I've got to get the right personnel. I do not have the right personnel in year one. I'm only adding one Z to that to make things work. But it obviously doesn't work completely. So to maximize the wins, to be competitive like the Wilfs wanted, you've got to modify how your defense is supposed to run to accommodate the talents on the team. They didn't do that. It was it was very much strict. We're going to run this defense. Now I hear people saying, yeah, but he did adjust in the second half. He tried blitzing. They just didn't go. Well, why is he waiting to the second half? Why are the adjustments always having to wait to see that the, the set thing didn't work at the beginning when it hasn't worked all year? That's And yeah. you know... You knew how the Giants played. They played you almost identically as they did two weeks ago. So it should have been easier for him to figure out a way to defense them that would have been better and more efficient than the way it was. Because when the game started out, it started out beautifully. You know, Vikings get the ball. It was a beautiful drive. Touchdown. Everybody's happy, yelling. Screaming, everything's good. I'm telling Katie, yeah, we just went out. It made it look easy. And then what happens next? The Giants get the ball. and They go, dub, 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 touchdown. And it's like, oh, no. And then the Vikings get the ball back, and it's three and out. And the Giants get the ball. They go, dub, 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 touchdown. And it's just like, oh, it's going to be one of those days. But we knew not to give up hope. After those drives, we knew the Vikings could come back. And sure enough, you know, they started scoring. They eventually tied the game. We thought they were going to come down and tie it and go for the win at the end. You know, it was just, it's been that story all season. That's the way the NFL would have loved it to march down, you know, score, go for two for the win. Even if, if they got it, it would have been great. If they, even if they didn't, it would have made a great, beautiful, you know, storyline for, all the ages, but it didn't happen. And it didn't have to happen all season. We didn't have to have the blowouts. We didn't have to come from behind. If the defense would have held up better all season long, we could have gone out to two and three touchdown leads because the offense did well. Now, a friend of mine today says, hey, we'll get the defense fixed next year, and with that 13-5 and five offense, we'll be golden. Well, it's sad to say, we're going to make efforts to improve the defense next year. It won't be fixed. This may take a couple years to get the players, the youth in, the stuff that builds it to where it becomes a core unit, and you can go on from there. 
just like we have the offense basically now. Now, there are things we could do to tweak the offense, make it even better, make it a scoring machine, you know, ever, don't go to sleep, you know, in the second quarter type deal. But we need to fix that defense. That's going to be a heavily looked at in the offseason. Yeah, and we're going to break down a lot about what each position that the Vikings need, how I believe they should address it, and then Dave will give his opinion, and then we'll be able to have some really fun discussion over the next couple weeks. Um, the interesting thing about this team, and I'm, I'm going to speak in a platitude right now, Dave, this is how I want things to be addressed. I want them to draft offense and free agent defense. I want them to build the defense through free agency. We spent four of our first five draft picks last year on defense. We are going to have guys coming back that we did not have. Andrew Booth Jr., Caleb Evans, Lewis Seen. It's one of the reasons why I don't think Brian Asamoah is probably going to start next year. Yep, and he uh, missed the second half of the game with a concussion yesterday, well, which that was, was very unfortunate. The, it was one of the deals. He only got, what, four snaps yesterday or something like that? Yeah. It was – we expected to see more of him and didn't. But, yeah. I'd done it. Dan, Dan Henneman, straight vodka and water bottle, Tyler. Listen, I'm not a vodka guy, but after everything I've dealt with the last 24 hours, I wouldn't <laughs> mind it. Listen, um, the reason why I say that, the you can expect a lot more from Andrew Booth Jr., Lewis Seen, and a Caleb Evans than you got this year. You're going to, in theory, have uh, all, all of them healthy. You can start all four. Because I'll be honest, Harrison Smith is not a guarantee. They are not a guarantee. He's not a guarantee to be here. And you draft offense, you keep building it. And I'll talk about my mock draft here in a minute. Um, our friend Raymond just uh, dropped a little quip, and I want to I want to answer this because Raymond always has some really good insight, along with a lot of people in the chat, and I greatly appreciate all of you being here tonight. This is this is a little therapy session. This is understanding things, and then we're gonna keep projecting forward because we we can be sad, be sad all you all you want, take as much time as you need to recover. We are gonna focus on moving forward and becoming a better version of the Minnesota Vikings. And that is why we're going to talk a lot of draft. That's why this show becomes a draft show second the Viking season's over. Dave and Tyler, I think we need to sign Kirk to a longer deal because he proved that he can win. Then we need new linebackers is what I think. What do you think? We need a wide receiver too, but Kirk proved he can win games. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So the one danger, and we actually just posted something on Vikings Wire about the four different options the Vikings can take at the quarterback position. And it's from uh, our new writer, Kevin Fielder. He is he writes for um, the Florida Atlantic site for 24-7, and he writes for Underdog Dynasty, 
which is the SP Nation focus site focused on the group of five schools. So the American Athletic Conference, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, Mountain West. Um, that's what he that's where he writes. And he broke down the four different types of options that the Vikings could take at quarterback. Because it's not as simple as, hey, you should just re-sign Kirk. There's a lot of nuance to it. And Raymond, I think if Kirk Cousins was 28, I think that's the direction you need to go. Because he's going to turn 35 next season, I think that makes a longer-term extension a really big risk. And one of the reasons why, Kirk is not a strong-arm quarterback. He has a good arm. Yeah, I'd say it's slightly above average as far as like raw arm talent. One of his big benefits is he's accurate. You don't lose accuracy as you get older. You lose arm strength. And when he loses his arm strength, how much of that effectiveness is going to go away because he doesn't have that elite level arm talent or close to it. Kirk Cousins wins with accuracy and intelligence. And he has an arm that can help him win right now. But let's say, let's hypothesize here, Raymond. Let's say we sign him to a three-year extension. That extension will kick in in Kirk Cousins' age 36 season. He will be 39 when he's able eligible for, like, when he can sign a new contract in free agency. Are you comfortable with taking that risk with Kirk Cousins and his arm and not deteriorating? Because that worries me a little bit. Peyton Manning, like, Peyton Manning's a top 10 quarterback of all time. Some people are going to rank him as the top quarterback of all time. And that's fair. He had a tremendous career. But one thing to remember about Peyton Manning, he didn't have a good arm. He never did. He well, threw especially a, not at the end. Oh, he threw an ugly-ass football. That that thing wobbled more than the dance floor at a club down in Minneapolis at 1 a.m. Like, Dave, there's a dance called the wobble. Okay, I believe you. Okay. <laughs> um, And he won because... Peyton Manning is arguably smarter than every quarterback that has ever played football. Ed Reed talked about how he would intentionally blow multiple coverages throughout the course of a regular season to bait Peyton Manning so he could intercept him. And because Peyton knew everything you were going to do. He was that smart. And the second that arm went, it went hard and it went fast and it got ugly. And you remember that last season with Denver. It was bad. It was very bad. And Peyton Manning looked like he should have quit a couple years prior. Some guys will quit before their their talent goes. Some guys quit when it's too late. Peyton Manning quit when it was too late, but it didn't matter. He won a Super Bowl. But mm-hmm. that that's, that's my concern with the Kirk Cousins extension. It's not about what you're getting now. And if he was 28, you give him $40 million a year. Uh, you know what? I'd be comfortable with that. Because we saw so much from him learning this system and how he was able to operate it, how much he was trusted at the line of scrimmage. And Ben Gessling wrote a tremendous piece about that. Um, if you have not had the opportunity, please go read it. He did an excellent job. Talked to a lot of people, um, O'Connell, Jefferson, um, offensive linemen that say, hey, no, he is doing everything up there. And he deserves all the praise in the world. But He's arm town is going to go. When is it going to go? And you have to set yourself up for a purse for, for the future. And the uh, average, 
average time good quarterbacks retire in the NFL because they've mm-hmm. come to the end is 35. It's right there in the mid-30s. This going over 40 is unusual. Yes, there's been cases of it, not just Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there have been a few other cases where guys played later. But it is unusual. Most quarterbacks retire because the skills have gone, deteriorated mm-hmm. enough by their mid-30s. And that's yep. where you're wondering, an extension, Are you're gambling big that he stays healthy and the skills remain at the point at least they are this year. And we saw that they dropped from last year to this year. So, yes, he's winning more. He's playing smarter. He's taking more chances, thankfully. A lot of that's on KOC getting into his head. I love that. It's great. I, he played with more confidence this year than we've seen him play in the five years he's, he's been in Minneapolis. But you've got to wonder about that age and the sneaking up and when stuff deteriorates. We see on the defensive side. Guys are talking about the old guys on the defense that have deteriorated. We see Patrick Peterson. He's, what, 32, right? He plays a position where speed is king. But he also plays smart, and that's helped him. But you can see how he's dropped off over the last couple of years. You've seen Eric Kendricks. Eric Kendricks isn't half of what he used to be. He used to be solid, sideline to sideline. You knew he could fly and he could shut down a runner going you know, wide or somebody in the flat. He could always chase that down. We saw mm-hmm. yesterday he was chasing receivers. And we're not talking wide receivers. We're talking tight ends and running backs. He was behind. So was Hicks. They seem slow. They've gone over that proverbial age cliff. We talk about it on running backs. It comes earlier on running backs. That stuff happens. And if you're going to bet on Kirk Cousins beating that age cliff, the traditional age cliff, you're taking a gamble. Now, is it up to us as fans? No. We can uh, talk about it to our Lips turn blue on what we think, whether we think Kirk Cousins is worth it or not. It's going to be up to KOC and Quazy to mm-hmm. make that evaluation on whether they want to do that. But you were talking about how there was a story about the options. What are the options? As uh, For quarterback, it's really simple. Um, one, you can extend Kirk Cousins or just keep him at next year's cap rate. So option one is Kirk Cousins. And I think for next season, it's a good option. It's a very good option. But we need to think of the future. And if you if there's a team that offers you a lot for Kirk Cousins, I think you need to really consider taking it if Cousins is willing to waive that no-trade clause. Because next season, you're going to go in with a, a shell of a roster compared to this year. And honestly, Especially one of the reasons why we talked about this is hindsight, and it's really tough about hindsight, but one of the reasons why we talk so much about doing the rebuild now is because now you went all in. We had a great regular season. It ended poorly. One now of the most you have to, entertaining seasons I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. It was great to cover. But now that it's over, you're faced with an even worse position than you were in last year. And now you need to evaluate how you're going to adjust and how you're going to move forward. And it's going to be without a lot of these players. And that's the tough part. You ha- uh, This was going to come at some point. A competitive rebuild is good for a little bit, 
but eventually you're going to have to do a full rebuild and you're going to have to make really tough choices. You have to swallow some pills and you're going to have to figure out a way to move on. And this is where we're at right now. We're in uh, the same spot and Quang, I don't have the crack pipe. I promise you. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and you're talking about full rebuild versus a temporary, you know, the temporary is, Hey, let's paint the wall or put up some wallpaper. Right. When the wall needs work done, there's been some termite damage and stuff. Eventually, you've got to tear down and rebuild that yeah. wall. You don't have to do that to the whole house at once. You can do it mm-hmm. sections at a time. You could be smart about it. And that's what we hope Quasi and KOC will be is smart at it. But there is that we're getting at that point where the old stuff needs torn out and we need to start new on building mm-hmm. up something stronger, better, faster. And we're at the point, take kitchen remodels, right? Everything looks great when they're brand new, but, you know, 20 or 30 years, that avocado green refrigerator, even though it works, doesn't work quite right, you know, and it's, you know, you really want water in a door and an automatic ice maker. So it's eventually got to go. Yeah. And that's kind of the position we're in. I, I don't think, well, let's, you have a two-bedroom house, basement, living room, kitchen. You have two bathrooms. Maybe you just do the basement and the bathroom downstairs, and that's where you start, and you you rebuild that. And then you know what? After next year, hey, now we're going to gut the kitchen. And and then all of a sudden, you're, comp- you're back to winning the division. And I, I don't think it needs to be this really long, drawn-out process. I think you can do it in two off-seasons. But it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place in here? What better time than now? Especially yes, when you need to free course. up money to get under the cap yeah. and to maximize and your off-season moves to help that rebuild. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that's going to be the, the decision that um, Kwesi needs to make. Now, the other options at quarterback are going to be hotly debated. But let's just talk about it civilly. Second one is the reclamation project. And there are two options. Kevin laid out one in the piece, and that was Zach Wilson. We know the issues with Zach Wilson. We know this, that, and the other thing. Is it a good option? That is something that you can you can make the, the choice on. I don't think it's a great option, but I'll tell you, if they want Kirk Cousins and we trade Kirk Cousins, I would take Zach Wilson back in return. Give him a shot. At, at its absolute worst. You're you're paying him a few million bucks, and he can just be your backup. Yeah, it's it's worth a try because I there is a lot of talent there, and the New York Jets have a good infrastructure now for a veteran. But as far as nurturing what Zach Wilson was, I don't think he was necessarily the the best in the league. Maybe Kevin O'Connell can extract something out of him that they just were not able to in New York. The right. other one and he is gets out of the up, New York eyesight, out of the market mm-hmm. to some place where and, he's not getting. All that attention. Now, I'll say this. I, I only give it about a 20% chance that he becomes a, a genuinely quality starter in the league. But if you're going to trade Kirk Cousins, it's worth a chance, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something to think about. Another one that's a possibility that Kevin did not mention, 49ers, Trey Lance. They have Brock Purdy. They may want to roll with Purdy because we know the infatuation that Kyle Shanahan had with Kirk Cousins. Purdy resembles Kirk Cousins a lot more than Trey Lance does. Maybe they're willing to move on from Trey 
and you can get him at a discount rate. He's a Minnesota kid, and you can. I think he would thrive in this type of system. Um, and it's something that that could be uh, bandied about. I don't know if it will. Um, the third option is like a backup quarterback. Um, you had Nick Mullins. Um, you could try and take a shot at like Mason Rudolph or maybe even Case Keenum. Um, and then you could just kind of pump the season and that would pair with drafting a guy. You're probably not going to be able to get CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Bryce Young. They're all going to go top 10. Anthony Richardson is a wild card. He could go anywhere from top five to end of the first round. I don't think he's getting out of the first round at this point, but if, if you don't get those guys, maybe you go in the third round and you take a guy, Tanner McKee from Stanford, Jaron Hall, BYU. Everybody knows how much I love Jaron Hall. And there are other guys, Jake Hayner. And there are, there are guys who have some really nice traits in this class. We're going to see some of them at the Senior Bowl. Drafting a quarterback and pairing with a backup, I think, is an interesting and good strategy. But it, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how how the Vikings handle a quarterback situation. That, that's going to tell you a lot about what they think of right now and in the immediate future. How do they handle Kirk Cousins? That That's going to tell us a lot, Dave. And um, we're kind of wrapping up uh, here. Um, so we're going to, we're going to have a lot more of these conversations. We're going to have a lot more time to be able to have talk about these things Um and we're going to have a lot more talks about what to do with the quarterback position. There are options. There's also the option of, instead of extending Kirk Cousins, just let him play in his $36 million cap hit. Is that the best option? No. It's not the best option, but it's good. It may may motivate him even more. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Last thing I want to talk about tonight, Dave, my mock draft from earlier today. Um, I released my first mock of the year now. Um, friend of the show, Ted Glover, um, host of Vikings Report with Drew and Ted. High recommend that you go check those guys out after you're done. We're done here. Um, they do a really good job. Um, you can see at the top of the screen the um, the picks that I made. Um, Dave, this is really cool. Um, thank you for doing that. Um, please go check it out, vikingswire.com, um, and it is the lead story. Um, look. These mock drafts, while they don't necessarily mean anything right now, here's what it does. It paints a picture of where guys are currently slated and what you should expect. Now, I also release every Monday a mock draft roundup where I take um, from the top leaders in the industry mock drafts that are written each week, and I aggregate them, and I put, oh, last week we had three analysts pick the, have the Vikings select Devin Witherspoon, cornerback of Illinois. And I'm going to keep track. So far, he leads um, the Vikings selections with five. Five different times analysts have picked Witherspoon to go to the Vikings. And all the top three corners. So, like, understand, like, seeing the, pro- the progress from Mach 1 till the final one that we release at the end of, um, at the, at the end of April when the, the actual draft approaches, Dave. It's, it's fun to see and fun to track, and these are exercises to understand, hey, this is what could happen. I do three types of mock drafts. 
what I think will happen, what I think, what I would do, what I think should happen. And then I also do a fourth where I just explore situations. And I, I say that. So one thing I did with, I did a Viking specific mock drafts where it's only Vikings picks last year. And each one, I explored a different situation. What happens if they trade up? What happens if they trade down? What happens if they take a quarterback? What happens if they take this position, that position? And it's to explore different ideas to get a sense of, hey, when something happens, we can be prepared for it. We can understand. And that's what I try to do with these things. It is an, an exercise to understand what's going on and how how to view the draft as a whole. Because mock drafts are, that's what they are. They're a fun exercise. You, I don't take them seriously till mid-April. But they're fun. And it's it's good to see, hey, this player could be really good. And as we come up to the Vikings pick, I'm just going to tell you right up, and I know Dave's got the graphic. I had the Vikings selecting LSU wide receiver Kayshawn Booty. And it's spelled B-O-U-T-T-E, but it's pronounced Booty. And one of the reasons I had the Vikings selecting him, one, I think wide receiver needs to have, is our biggest need in the draft this year because we need to have a running mate with Justin Jefferson that is not Adam Thielen and that is not K.J. Osborne. And that is not a slide on either of those guys. They're both talented players, but they are not dynamic enough for what this offense needs. They need a 1A to Justin Jefferson. They need somebody who can be that guy. And I think Booty can be that guy. He's tremendous in space. He's got size. They moved him to the slot this year specifically to get him more targets because Jaden Daniels was not super comfortable throwing outside. So they moved their best player inside to get him more touches, to get him the ball. And he thrived in the biggest games. His best games, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Three of the best teams in the SEC. He thrives in big spots. If he had a better infrastructure, because LSU had a lot of turnover this year, his stock would be way higher. You'd be talking about booty in the top 15 easy. I think you could get him at the way back end of the first round, even with the trade back. I like what he brings to this team or what he can bring to this team. I like him as a prospect a lot. And like Lewis said, Batman needs his Robin. And the LSU connection runs deep with the Vikings. Um, you're going to know a lot about him because these guys have a fraternity. Ed Ingram was just there. Patrick Peterson's an alum. Uh, Justin Jefferson is an alum. And there's one more that I that is escaping my mind that is also an alum of LSU. Daniel Hunter. Duh. Um, that, that one should have been easy. But the Vikings need to have a receiver. They need to find that guy. And I think Booty can be that guy. There are other options at receiver. Um, in this draft, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State went 20. Zay, uh, Josh Downs went 22 to the Ravens. And Zay Flowers went 21 to the Chargers. All good receivers. But there, I think there's going to be a run in a similar way to 2016. Now, don't panic. I don't think there is a Laquan Treadwell in this class um, where we're just we're going to get disappointed like that. But there was that run. Corey Coleman went 15. Josh Jackson, Will Fuller, Laquan Treadwell all went in like the same three picks. And I, I think something like that could easily happen in this draft too because there's only two guys I would think of taking in the top 15, Quentin Johnson and Jordan Addison. There's been some split opinions on Jordan Addison this year. Um, he runs mostly out of the slot. He can play on the outside. But 
that they really tried to maximize with how spacing works in college. You, it's it just works better for your best guy to be in the slot. It just does, and that's why Jackson Smith and Jigbo is there. But he also played with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and we've seen how good they've been in the NFL so far. Uh, but because of that, you know, Addison played a lot in the slot, won the Blitnikoff Award in twenty twenty one. He he's a guy that's that's going to have mixed opinions. I am very low on Jackson Smith and Jigbo compared to the rest of the industry. I don't think he's fast. I don't think he's got an athletic trait that's dominant. We're probably going to spend next week talking a lot about receivers because I have already gone through 14 receivers in this class. I have a long list of different things that I like and dislike about these guys. But Dave, that's why I think we should take receiver because I think if you get Justin Jefferson, that one B on the outside to pair with Hawkinson, Osborne's a free agent after this year. I would be shocked if Thielen is back next year um i've i've heard some things and obviously uh his wife caitlin thielen took to instagram saying that hey this this could be our last time in minnesota like what do you think how do you feel about receiver in round one well first off i would address swerve yes swerve we will get around to talking about the 360 pounders trust me that's gonna come just not right this second taking a wide receiver to match up on the other side I think is a quite a viable option. It makes sense. It strengthens your offense. It gives it that 1A, 1B type. He He's following in the same footsteps that Justin Jefferson did because Justin Jefferson started on the outside, then they stuck him in a slot. And then, it, you know, when he came into the draft, everybody, he's a slot guy, he's a slot guy. Well, then we found out that Justin, Jeff- Justin Jefferson can run from anywhere on the field. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So... Having that be able to, because right now, TJ Hawkinson, which I think was a brilliant move by Quasi, TJ Hawkinson mm-hmm. has moved into the number two wide receiver slot. Well, I'd rather have TJ Hawkinson, the number one tight end, and have a number one and number two, and that way you have a three-headed type attack as to which way you could go. They can't cover everybody. I don't care what defense they run. They cannot cover everybody if you have that. I like that idea. So I'm okay with a wide receiver because I want to go value for pick. There's only certain picks I like to make in the first round, right? Um, when it comes to defense, you're looking at it's it's either got to be a blue chipper, Mr. Allworld, going to change you know life as we know it type, or it's most likely an edge. Now, yes, do we need a defensive tackle that can get interior pressure? Absolutely we do. Um, It would be nice to have one. We've got two stout guys in the middle right now, but they don't do much when it comes to pass pressure. Yes, we could use that. Other than that, you know, a corner is another high-value one in the first round. (laughs) Problem is we've taken them for year after year after year after year, and we have such bad luck with that. The other high-value spots are obviously quarterback and wide receiver when it comes to the offensive side, unless you get that bookend tackle. Bookend tackle is always valued super high. So that, if you look at that handful of players, handful of positions that are worth that first-round pick, in my opinion, um, the best option on that, most likely, as to what's available, is that wide receiver. That's going to get you more bang for the buck 
earlier. Wide receivers also take less time to develop. That's another thing you've got to consider, especially when we got talking square, when we talk big offensive or defensive linemen. There's a developmental curve on those. There's a developmental curve on tight ends. That's why picking TJ now, and we paid that second-round price for him. Now we're getting a fourth back, but we paid that second-round price. We now have a tight end who's at the peak of his play. That For a tight end to get there, it usually takes their first contract. There's the old saying, you're drafting for the next team. It usually takes that. Linemen, offensive linemen, it usually takes three or four years before they finally get it. Now, sometimes you have to invest that. Um, they've invested that in Ed Ingram. They invest that in Ezra Cleveland. You've got to invest that time and that effort because you don't have an option. You, we didn't have the money to go out and buy somebody off the shelf in free agency who's hit, coming off that first contract that's looking to be in their prime. We want to do that on the defensive side because the quicker to develop may be the wide receiver. It, it generally is. They don't take that long. Um, so that makes more sense to me the way you have it laid out. But we will learn over time. The whole idea about doing mock drafts and that part of the show running up to the draft is learning about all these players. Who might fit best? Who might, you know, make the Vikings better and we hope we get them at pick 23 and that nobody trades out of it and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Swerve, yeah. I'm 59, going to be 60 this year. You want to talk about waiting? Yeah, um, you can't wait too much longer. You can't expect anything in the future. You have to try and go for it. You have to have a plan in place, and I expect this team to have a plan in place as far as how they're going to attack it. And we're going to know that sooner rather than later, um, especially with Derek Carr. Um, they The Raiders need to make a decision on him by February 18th. There needs to be a trade in place, um, other um, or they need to release him because his money fully guarantees. And they can get out for a $5 million dead cap hit if they cut him, and I think that's what's going to end up happening. But when they cut him, he's going to be available before everyone else. So he's going to have his pick of where he wants to go. Now, if the Vikings want to move on from Cousins, they would be best um, to a- attack it early and often and be able to maximize on the market before a potential suitor or two are gone. Um, We're going to talk more about that. Go ahead. Purple Haze, yes, we are technically number 24, but we're picking 23rd because, as of Clifford said, the Miami Dolphins lost the 23rd pick, and everybody behind them moves up that one spot. There's only 31 Mm -hmm. picks in the first round this year. Yep. Because Stephen Ross is a dum-dum. But that is going to be our show tonight. We could spend all night talking about the Minnesota Vikings and their future. We have all off-season to do so. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, This has been a really good start to what Mock Draft Mondays are going to be. We we talked about the Mock Draft. Please go to VikingsWire.com and take a look at it yourself. Dave did have it scrolling at the top. But it's easier to see why um, each pick was made and when you read about it. And it helps me, and I greatly appreciate that. Dave, obviously, this is not the way that we wanted to end our season. Um, what does the schedule for the rest of the week look like as we continue to move on? Well, uh, 
Lewis talks about being ruthless on Vikings Happy Hour. Speaking of ruthless, we have special guest coming on, Dr. Eric Eager, formerly of PFF, now of Sewer Sports. He will be on, and you know Eric, he tells it like it is, uh, from his point of view, being the numbers cruncher and playing in college. So that show on Wednesday with Eric's going to be outstanding. Thursday, we should have Viking Hot Takes, hopefully, with Flip Mozzie and Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman. And next Saturday, probably before the games, we'll adjust it just like we did this last week. You'll get myself and Darren doing most likely a postseason type wrap up show. And maybe by then we'll have news on Ed Dottatel and his future. Who knows? Yeah. But um I would I would guess the second we get a Kevin O'Connell press conference they are going to announce what they're doing with their coordinators and if they're going to be who they're going to be retaining, who they're going to be letting go, because they're if they're going to be replacing anybody, they need to get at it because they're going to be candidates scooped up, especially as head coaches get hired because they're going to need to build out their staffs. They um, O'Connell's going to need to get on it hot and fast, so I assume we'll know something Tuesday morning or at the latest Wednesday. Either way, if um, Ed Donatello stays gets fired or retires, we're going to know. Um, in the meantime, thank you all for tuning in to The Real Forno Show as we transition into Mock Draft Mondays. Um, the TDN simulator is not quite up and running yet. They are trying to make it as great as possible. So we will continue to just discuss Mock Drafts. And as always, Vikings Wire is going to have you covered on everything Mock Draft. Um, I talk about each Mock Draft that I find uh, with the, with an article and then obviously my own Mock Drafts and um, mock draft roundup. So in the meantime, thank you all for joining. Um, do everything you can to try and recover from the end of this Viking season. Remember the good times because that's what this should be. The season should be about and have yourself a wonderful week. And as we always say, Dave, Skull Vikings. Making your Mondays purple. Skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.